Kevin, thank you very much. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we are taking a time out with Michelle Casey today. Michelle, you ready? Yeah. All right, Ty, you ready? Yeah, I love a little improv. Kevin, let's do it. All right, let's have some fun. <laughs> Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Kevin, thank you very much. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we are taking a time out with Michelle Casey today, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Central and Western New York. Michelle, thanks for being on our show. Oh, thank and, you so uh, much for having me. <laughs> you bet. Like we just mentioned, we want to make you shine. You know, that's not, that's not hard. Just <laughs> feeling your energy already. I always, uh, Kevin and I always love talking to CEOs and presidents, presidents of the 585 up there. And, but our, one of our favorite questions is, is what was your very, very first job before you were, you know, way back in the day when you were 15, 16 years old, what, what was yep. Michelle doing at age teen in your teens? Yep. So I was uh, 14 and I was a bus girl in a restaurant. And uh, honestly, it was an amazing place to start working because it was a really, I don't know, just a really professionally run restaurant. And I had many, many positions there. And uh, I loved it. I had a, you know, learned a great work ethic and teamwork and, you know, it was, it was awesome. Is this, is this restaurant still, is it still open today? You know, no, it uh, burned down about oh. five years ago. Yeah. Oh. Um, but it was a family owned business and my mom worked there. My brother worked there. Like there was a lot of that. We didn't own it. We were, you know, That's just working so there. Cool. That's so Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It was terrific. Yeah. Uh, that was one of my first uh, jobs was uh, as, as being a waiter. You learn a lot. You learn a lot. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> you learn yeah. a lot about humanity yeah. uh, being a waiter and how, how to always be in service, I think. Yeah. And what my mom it? was really great. Like, cause she would, she was really great at her job and she would uh, mentor me. Right. Like, like I was going to be, if I was going to be working where she was working, I needed to be doing a good job. <laughs> I, I, bet. Yeah. I can't imagine working for my mother. Ew, that would be, yeah, that would be high, <laughs> high standards. That would be tough to live up to. That would be really yeah. hard. Yeah. One, of the things, one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, Tyler and I always learn a lot about people from the music and you uh, mm -hmm. the, like the music that they listen to their favorite songs. So I guess yeah. if we had to catch you when you were taking your trip back up from Florida and maybe some blues, but, and you were just having to pop on your favorite song and have to listen to that, that whole flight back, what song would that be right now? Ooh, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, in between, I'm not ready to make nice and, <laughs> and uh, free life. Okay. <laughs> What are you going to spend it. your free life on, right? <laughs> I love it. Exactly. And we're all kind of living, we're all living in the, uh, a different, uh, a different world right now. We're all kind of still adjusting to whatever this new normal is. And yeah, if you were to take Tyler and out, now we're able to get back in person, you know, for our, your favorite dinner spot here in Rochester, where are you taking Tyler and I? That is tough. I think I would bring you to the owl house. I love it um because they have these cauliflower chicken wing things that are undescribable delicious <laughs> although I have had I, there's probably there's probably a handful of italian places i'd have as a backup so <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing sure Rochester's not short on italian restaurants and delis yeah Tyler yeah. misses those delis right 
Oh, good night. I sure do, man. Uh, <laughs> big sucker for uh, some of those. And, and I was going to ask you, you know, if you're taking this to the Owl House, um, if you could uh, invite two other people in the world, who would it be for oh, us gosh. three to go out and eat? And, and, and how about three other people? Let's make it a six them. <laughs> okay. Uh, three other people. Wow. Um, I would, well, some of the people I'd like to invite are dead. And so that I can't do. Uh, no, those are off limits. We'll allow yeah. it. We'll allow it. Dead or alive, Michelle. We're free game here on Time Out Sweet. Leaders, if you can't tell. Really low That's budget all... over here. Yeah. <laughs> so I would, uh, Maya Angelou would be up there with uh, interesting people I'd want at the table. I would, um, Michelle Obama, um, and let's see, I want to get a politician in there. <laughs> Maybe we invite Chuck Schumer. Oh, okay. all right. Sit down with Chuck. Let's sit down over over. That would be a table, right? Yeah. That would be some opinions. That would. That would be amazing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, switching yeah. gears just a, a little bit is to learn learn even more about um, kind of those first couple of days as you stepped in to be president and CEO over there at Planned Parenthood. Uh, yeah. Take us back. What was what were those first couple of days like of being a CEO and, a, and the leader of this organization? Yeah, well, this is a really funny story. It's one of those like, you know, when you start a new job, you're like, you know, the least right of anybody about the place and you know and you start as the ceo you're expected to know the most and so it was a really interesting expectation and i remember um it was a few days before i actually even started uh, my first official duty for the organization was to speak to the media oh my <laughs> god <laughs> and so uh, thankfully i had some good people around me to you know help me with what i was supposed to say and to, you know, I had enough information to answer some questions and stuff, but that was like, uh, I was like, oh man, they don't know what they're doing, putting me in front of the camera here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you right to the wolves right when you started. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But people were so welcoming. I remember, I remember that I met with um, uh, who, with the person who was going to be my assistant at the time at Starry Nights Cafe. And we, um, had coffee and she briefed me on a tons of things and it was just like I felt very um like taken care of and welcome before I before I even arrived so that was terrific that's amazing that's awesome Michelle and I was wanting to ask you at what age um did, did the light bulb turn on that you were saying to yourself dude I'm a pretty president and the CEO someday like, <laughs> like but you know what what age about about, about when was that you know, I don't know if I could pick a age, but I can tell you that when I would watch TV shows when I was very young, I would always gravitate towards the leader, mm -hmm. you know, that um, the person I most identified, you know, uh, I'll <laughs> say I used to be a fan of Star Trek and I thought I needed to be Captain Kirk, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> which which is sort of, you know, dating me in that in that way, but, you know, it, oh. Um, I, you know, always aspired to, I think, lead people and that's amazing. And, and Star Trek is very futuristic, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. Uh, 
And but here we are kind of in this new dawn, right? We're talking about the fourth industrial revolution here post pandemic and now with uh, some some global uncertainty. Um, being a leader right now is challenging, but I wanted to ask you kind of going back even further in your in your development was back at St. John Fisher when you were getting your degree in psychology. How much mm-hmm. has that helped you to be a better leader and to, to really, I guess, be more empathetic or these emotionally intelligent, these types of keywords that we're now seeing popping mm-hmm. up everywhere, describing the future leader, what is needed with by the future leader? Yeah, I think that was actually extremely helpful because um, I think in my position now, it's all about relationships or not maybe not 100%, but a huge percentage about relationships and um, working with people and um, under, you know, like when they tell you there's a, you're the CEO or the president CEO or whatever, you know, it sounds so cool and everything, but the bottom line, <laughs> you know, the bottom line is, is it's about, you know, taking care of the people we serve, taking care of the people that work for us and making sure that we're financially stable. And, um, you know, that's not, it's not like everybody's going to do as I say, right? Like you have to get the best out of your people to amplify what everybody can do. And so I think that's really the power, the power of a leader is knowing um, how to get the best out of your people. It's not necessarily being the end all, know all, be all. So I love that. And especially being a nonprofit, you even have to be more strategic, more precise, Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously funding can change on a dime. Yes. Um, when you're mm-hmm. getting the best out of your people, how do you create right now? Organizations are really throwing up their hands and it's uh, we, sadly, it's become a compensation race, right? It's like mm-hmm. a compensation arms race. Who's got deeper pockets? Who can afford the talent right now? And it's just, it's crazy to me. Pretty soon yeah. our record of first impressions are going to be getting a million dollars, you know, and it's just like, wow, where, where does it stop? How do you yeah. create that environment to, to really amplify what your message is as Planned Parenthood to serve the general public that you guys so so brilliantly do every day? Yeah, well, I think, you know, compensation is definitely a factor. Like, I'd be foolish to say that it's not and say that we do all these other things. Like, I think you have to pay people enough so that you take compensation off the table as a factor, mm-hmm. right? So that, that that isn't the primary driver. Like I think we recently increased wages and benefits, you know, so that so that people weren't running because they could make $20,000 more someplace else. Like, but I think if you're paying people, if they feel fairly compensated, maybe not the best they could be compensated anywhere, but then if you provide an environment that people want to work in and they're really um, attached to the mission of what we do, right? Because I think um, there's a group here in Rochester um, that works at the University of Rochester on um, you know what motivates people. And mm-hmm. they talk about uh, autonomy, mastery, and purpose that people want to get out of their work. And... Um, so I think that that's really what they, people want to be, uh, you know, giving, being a part of something bigger than themselves, right? They want to be, be contributing at that kind of level. They want to be able to have some autonomy to be able to um, function in their role and not feel like they're being micromanaged to death. And they also want to be able to be get better and better at what they're doing. And um, I think right now the culture that we're creating is really about um, respect and, you know, trying to stay in the, uh, what we call high trust behaviors, 
you know, and staying out of sort of that dysfunctional space and being very deliberate about it, like talking about it out loud and having tools. Um, we use this thing called the productive conflict model to be able to talk about um, a difficult thing and be more focused on what the other person thinks than me having to get my opinion out there first. <laughs> and, you know, which a lot of times, you know, as human beings, we want to say what we think. And, you know, uh, I think curiosity goes a long way in um, helping to understand that. And often we have common goals. We just have conflicting ideas about how to get there or whether we're there or not. So, um, you know, oh. it's good stuff. <laughs> a conflict model, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool i'd like to learn more about that that, that yeah. sounds pretty interesting a little different yeah um, it's it's very easy but you start out with what your common goal is and then you ask the other person to talk first right and then you know you try to so you're asking what their perspective is and then you know eventually you get a chance to say what your perspective is <laughs> but but you know what i mean but it really i think works well because it a lot of times people have a preconceived notion of what's going to happen or why people did something or why they think that they think something. And um, if you really talk it out, a lot of those misconceptions go right away, you I know, and you really start to understand more each more. other. Yeah, I've noticed mm -hmm. that more and more with the assumptions, the amount of assumptions that people kind of lead in with every conversation first, and then here they are kind of leading with that, and then it automatically deteriorates the trust if they're totally off the mark. And I, so I love... I love what you said. And the conflict resolution to like Tyler's point is really interesting because now we're talking about multi-generational workforces in these conf conflict situations and scenarios. And now we're talking about even generations that are going to be graduating that didn't even have a high school graduation in person, you know, and they're even more separated and more on a digital front. How are you opening those lines of communication across all units within the business to really get an accurate picture of what's going on within the organization and where improvements need to be made. Yeah, I think that's um, probably one of the things I'd say I underestimated when I took this job is how much communication um, really needed to happen, right? Um, and and how many different levels. And we're, we're doing a lot of communication out to our staff and in many different modalities because people take that in in different ways. But really, I think the thing is, is that there's not too much information in our organization that's secret, like very, 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 very little. Um, and so really trying to be as transparent as possible and telling people what's going on or uh, if we're looking for input for things, you know, making sure people feel comfortable that there's not going to be some kind of, you know, if they tell me they think I'm not doing a very good job, it's something that there's not retaliation, there's a thank you, right? Yeah. Like, because yeah. honestly, I want to know if there's something that I can do better or if, or if something I've said came off in a way that I did not intend or things like that. Like, I think it's just like trying to um, smash the hierarchy as much as possible and just try to see each other on a um, even plane, even though we each have different roles and responsibilities and that kind of thing, you can't get away from that. But, but at least like where there's that dialogue and trust and um, on an individualized basis, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, to know them absolutely. On a personalized basis, so it's not just CEO and that view of, oh, I'm not holier than thy, you know, that, that the whole Oh, not at all. Yeah, absolutely. And cool. honestly, you know, like it takes the whole, it takes everybody to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. 
if they if we just had a ceo god save us like (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like i love how modest that you are this is incredible Awesome. It sounds like you work on yourself a lot, Michelle. So my question to you is, what's the one thing you wish you could be better at? It sounds like you have, like you have everything cornered, but what's one thing that you're working on right now? My big thing right this minute is curiosity. You know, I mentioned that before, but really like um, not assuming that I know what the person is talking about, but asking them to say more about it. Because a lot of times I'll fill in the blanks with something that may not be what they're actually talking about. <laughs> And so um, I know it's human nature to get like defensive if you feel like somebody's being critical, but we would do better if human nature was to be curious. (laughs) You you know what I mean? If um, like to to really seek to understand and um, because I feel like I learned so much when I do that and um, I just get to understand people better and where they're coming from and get understand the feedback that they're trying to give so curiosity job one yeah and you just ask questions and seek understanding and that's what that's (laughs) what i i I love that that's that's so elegantly and beautifully put is that 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 could probably solve a lot of the challenges that we have because there are a lot of assumptions and we don't ask the question we just fill in the blanks like you said and how dangerous that that is because you might be filling it in with the wrong blank um so i love I love that. And asking the question why, like Sam and Sinek was so brilliantly put and mm-hmm. popularized. It, it's such a good question because it does make you peel back that onion. And and why mm-hmm. children, you know, at the age of three, that's all that's out, that comes out of the mouth. Why, <laughs> why, why, right? That I wish we had a little bit more of that because I think like you're saying, it's it's a great way to, to kind of rebuild some of these communities and neighborhoods that seem so separated. Yeah. Um, and I think asking people what their barriers are like, and that's goes for our staff, but it also goes for the people that we serve. Like, you know, what makes it hard for you to get to the clinic for the, for an appointment? What's, you know, what's hard for like in our youth development programs, what, is there something here that we could be doing different that would make uh, this better for you or easier for you? Uh, you know, so especially just getting it up. No, again, on the personal level and just, because sometimes in leadership, it can be hard to, to understand that there is a level within the business that is maybe borderlining on that poverty level. And they have different oh, yeah. challenges than, than, than some of the senior leadership within the organization. But the more understanding and awareness brought to that, the more uh, problem solving that you guys can collectively do together. So I, love, I loved hearing that. One of the things I wanted to ask you is because you were talking about is the transparency and there's not a lot of things that employees do not know. And that's, I love that because we're seeing how successful the town hall series were during the pandemic to just strike up conversations and show vulnerability of the business and leadership. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love the transparency factor because I'm a big data guy. So I ask people <laughs> to show the numbers, you know, show me the numbers. Numbers speak louder than words, in my opinion. And, and a lot of these conversations that we're having with DE and I and equity and, and some of these racial injustices that we're seeing at all levels, right? It's a very challenging time to lead. So where I'm going with this, how are you establishing and building that trust with your team? Because as, we, as you're building trust, it sounds like you've built a resilient workforce, which a lot of people seek, but it's not a characteristic, it's trust first. I just wanted to yeah. know how you started to build that when you became a part of that organization. Well, I think it's always a work in progress. Like, I don't know that you ever arrive, right? Like, um, but I think like being um, 
real with people, you know, you know, I mean, just being who I am uh, is, is a part of that, but I like, um, and like putting my money where my mouth is, right? Like, cause I've said since day one, that equity is very important to me and, you know, uh, made a goal of making uh, our minimum pay $15 an hour. And it took us a couple of years, but we did. And now it's much higher than that. Like, you know what I mean? Like just, uh, we flattened our, um, you know, we had like a lot of places, we had health benefits that were two tiered. If you started before this date, you got a better package. And if you started after this date, you got a worse package. And we um, just eliminated that. So, you know, I get the same health benefits as a person who started yesterday, like just really trying to, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep that out there. And then also, the data, you know, the point you made earlier, I think is really important because it's easy to be critical of something, right? When you think, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think when you can look at the data and then, you know, maybe we show some benchmarks about, you know, the industry or what we're trying to achieve or things like that, then I think then people can make their own judgment, but they're making it on data, not on an impression. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Captain Kirk, I wanted to ask you, um, <laughs> I, I want to go back to your psychology degree. Um, yeah. What, what, how am I going to ask this? I guess let me just first want to ask you, what are some of your favorite psych, psychology books out there? Because I know there's a ton out there and you, I don't know if you keep up with any, but do you have any favorites? Yeah, I actually more lean into the um, organizational development side of things. You know what I mean? That I would say, you know, dabbles in that area. Um, I'm a big uh, Brene Brown fan, <laughs> you know, so basically everything that, that um, <laughs> she has written, um, the, you know, there's a, there's a, I'm, you know, always have like five books going on my Audible account, you know. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> How do you keep those all straight? That's <laughs> right. You know, I'm a fan of, uh, Ibram X Kendi, you know, with the how to be an anti-racist, like, you know, that was really sort of life-changing. The book, The Inclusion uh, Breakthrough, which is probably 20 years old now, um, with uh, Judith Katz and Frederick, last name's escaping me right now. But um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I I feel like I learned to be like a voracious learner. I love to like, just I listen to tons of podcasts. I, um, a lot of it's around um, self looking at self, right? Cause I can't really change the rest of the world but I can change myself. And so, um, you know, really looking at how I can uh, be my best self and show up the best I can to work. And then, you know, sharing tools with my colleagues. I love that. that is awesome. Well, how do you, how do you wake up every day, Michelle? Do you have like a, are you a meditator? I mean, you have a calm sense about you that you're confident, <laughs> you're not cocky, but you're just, you're there, you're present. Yeah. And, and I need to know what you do. <laughs> well, well, I usually lay in bed for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have to say, I used to spring right out of bed, but the last few years, I think since COVID, I give myself a few extra minutes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, usually I'll... Um, uh, jump out and uh, I'll do some stretching like I'll do a little yoga or sometimes I go to the gym 
um, and, you know, do a little cardio before work. Um, I was for a long while, but now my son's a driver, but for a long while I was driving my son to school and we would have like really cool interactions on the drive, you know, like it's a nice little stealing some time, uh, in the morning together. So, yeah. That's, and it's awesome to hear just a leader and a CEO, because the perception is that work-life balance for, for you is, is sometimes impossible or, or, or near impossible, but it sounded like setting those boundaries. What have you learned over your career? I mean, understanding the background in psychology and understanding human behavior is the most fundamental level that most people don't even have um, that understanding, right, of human behavior like you do. What have you learned to be true as like your core principles as a leader? Um, I would say that, you know, that I need to be willing to do the work, that I need to be honest with people. I need to be open. I need to be willing, like, you know, do not do as I say, not as I do. I think you got to like walk the walk. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, I think, true, like, this comes naturally for me, but I think that uh, you actually really have to care about the people that you serve and that you work with and um, not see people as the lesser, you know what I mean? Because honestly, it's seconds and inches, right? Like, like I'm where I am because I worked hard, but I am where I am because of a lot of luck. and being in the right place at the right time and you know let's be real that you know it could be could have been very different for me so I love that I love just your perspective on it all this of the seconds and inches because I mean some people are born on third base and hit the hit (laughs) I think they hit a triple you know and that's right (laughs) and and maybe do you think like their first job I guess really helped you see like that true service what service really meant, I, I guess, was that a really a fundamental building block, I guess, as to what you found to be true in leadership? Yeah, the guy who ran the place was really super interesting. Sounds like a mentor to you. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, this thing he called total concept, you know, that everything mattered. And it, you know, and this is in, geez, 79, like this is a long time ago. You know, this is not when Deming was, you know, out there with, yeah. you know, total quality improvement and all this stuff. And, but, it, but really that, you know, is he was talking about how it's, everything's important. Like if people get greeted in a friendly way at the door, if the bathrooms are clean, if the food is good, if it's, you know, that everything mattered. And so, and that everybody was part of that. And so I really internalized that. Um, and then there was another, um, I worked in mental health for a while and there was a psychiatrist um, who, you know, I'm young, I'm, you know, probably 21, 22 years old and I'm sitting in a treatment team meeting and feeling like I don't have much to say because everybody's got more experience and more degrees and everything else than me. And the psychiatrist says, well, you're the most important person at the table because you spend more time with this person than anybody else. So you know what they're really like. And you know, it just was a really great uh, learning experience for me that we all bring our own things to the table and like nobody else is important or more important than anybody else, right? That it's just, it's not like a status thing. And that was awesome to hear from a doctor, right? Because it would be easy as a doctor to feel like you came to the table with more. <laughs> how, many, how many do, you know? How many do? 
<laughs> that is it is interesting to see that and it's awesome to just hear those two stories because you everything else now makes sense of what you said earlier like pretty mm-hmm. much everything that you do and is your your energy and your nature about you is 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 really awesome uh thank you for for that because i'm sure you i'm sure the way that you touch your employees every day is just different um so thank you for all that great work thanks <laughs> Absolutely. I, and those are some, some awesome stories. And it is cool when someone looks at you and says, you're the most important person in the room. And you're like, are, are you talking to me? <laughs> That's and, right. uh, and, and, but, you know, it, t- it teaches me something, you know, to carry that on and to pass yeah. it on to others, you know, because I've said that to other people now that I've heard that about me, you know, randomly. And it's just cool to see all the collaboration. And then all of a sudden you have a unit working instead of just your your, your self, selfish thoughts and antique ways, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But Michelle, I was wanting to know, do you have any... Uh, let me see. Uh, mentors, uh, local mentors besides the restaurant owner. Oh, sure. <laughs> the the restaurant owner isn't from this particular area, but oh, um, okay. but I do have many local mentors. Um, you know, people that I really look up to who've helped me over my career. And um, Fran Weisberg, uh, she's retired now, but amazing mentor. She was my boss at one time, and uh, she's terrific. You know, Tom Mahoney, uh, very big mentor for me, uh, Wade Norwood. Um, there's uh, tons of people that have crossed my path over the years that have really uh, taught me something. The, you know, back in my 20s, I, well, I worked at Paul Community Services, and I can't tell you, like, the just amazing amount of stuff I learned there um, from you know, so many different people who just helped guide me in my career and, um, you know, just really super grateful for that. And uh, and I consider ourselves lucky to have leaders like you in our community, right? I, I think the work that you're not only doing there at Planned Parenthood for our community, but also just creating better people within your organization. And, and like Tyler said, passing on those same things that you learned to help them and propel their careers and, and their advancement and their development. And mm-hmm. you're hundred percent right. The organizational design and development is, is the future of work, right? It's, it's really understanding that and who's better at it, I think is going to be the ones that, uh, the, that will be ahead of the curve um, as to how they turn people into human capital and how they always are constantly creating those constant learning environments like you suggested. Yeah, um, Faith pray there. It's funny because you say organizational development, like, I uh, have a master's in public administration from Brockport and Faith Prather was amazing. Like probably one of the best teachers I've ever had in my whole life. And Jason Berman taught the same subject at St. John Fisher. And, you know, it's um, just so inspiring to have like really great teachers, you know what I mean? Who, who, like I'm excited to go to school. (laughs) 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 And, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't know, there, there's, uh, gives you a taste for that, you know, and just being excited about learning how to do it better, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and it's I awesome. think what, that's what I, the, one of the last questions I have for you today is that, um, that we're, we're in this, uh, we have a socioeconomic climate that we cannot control outside of the walls of our business. We have a global economy, which is on full display right now, right? Um, there's things that are always going to be changing. Like we know the pandemic was at our store, at our doorstep, but with something I've heard as a repeated theme throughout this conversation today, Michelle, is your ability to be comfortable with change, right? And that's why you're you're so comfortable with it, and it becomes so natural 
where others become paralyzed. How did you get yourself comfortable that change was inevitable and you better kind of buckle up? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> the, I think my younger days prepared me for that. Like, you know, just a lot of different different things happening in my environment growing up that really helped me to, you know, be resilient and that kind of thing. And I also think like, um, like change is inevitable, right? Like, and so like, that's one thing that's for sure. And you can either get on it and, you know, get, get with it and try to figure out how to make it work best for you and what your goals are and what you're trying to do for people, or you can get hit by it, right? But you're not going to stop it. <laughs> like it's it's sort of like a train going down the track and uh i remember i was in lake placid one time um it said uh there was at ben and jerry's there was a little jar there that said i'm comfortable with change leave it here like it was like a little tip jar you know <laughs> oh that's so good <laughs> oh. yeah and yeah. another one of my mentors, Howard Berman, said, you know, like change is sort of like follows the stages of grief, right? Because people like who didn't love a paper EMR, like a medical record, like honestly, they were so much easier than an electronic medical record, like love those, right? Well, that's just not something that, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Some it's not something. probably saying, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. A paper record? Yeah. Paper <laughs> record. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, what do you got? Um, and I was just chiming. I heard an old timer tell me one time about change. He said, if it wasn't for change, I would have arrived here on a dang horse, you know? So you know, <laughs> and I'll never forget that. It always made me laugh. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, and then my head up, dude, that would have been sweet if you arrived on a horse, man. <laughs> you know, everybody whipping the horses around. But, you reconsider you know. your strategy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I just wanted to thank you, Michelle, for uh, jumping on here with Kevin and me. Um, you know, and, and Fran came up again. That, that's amazing. We, oh. I, I, Amory, was it Cook yesterday who, yeah. who mentioned him? And you're just awesome, Michelle. Your, your demeanor and everything and your leadership is just cool, you know. Um, and that's all I got today, guys. But I just want to thank you so much for your time today, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Tyler. And thank you, Kevin. It was like an awesome time to see, you know, the time went by really fast. It was fun talking to you. <laughs>